This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Your radio doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on your radio doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Overcoming great challenges like COVID-19 requires great cooperation. This is Dan Hilferty, CEO of Independence Blue Cross. Most of us never imagined we'd be facing an outbreak of this magnitude. But in the face of this challenge, hospitals, public officials, and business leaders have come together. Through effective cooperation, these leaders are taking steps to keep us safe. Slowing the rate of infection from the virus will help hospitals care for those who need attention most. Remember, stay home. Leave only for essential needs. Stay informed from sources like the CDC or Department of Health. Take a break from watching the news. Stay well, exercise, and practice self-care to make sure you're physically and mentally fit. In our great region, we have a tradition of caring for each other and cooperating to get things done. We'll do it again now. For more, visit ibx.com COVID-19. Together, we will beat COVID-19. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. A radio.com station. From the Malamud and Associates Law Studios, it's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Sunday morning at 10. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or 10 months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Welcome in today. This is your radio doctor, and I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. It's that time of year when we hear that familiar song, the weather outside is frightful, let it snow, which means also ice. So I thought it would be helpful to discuss an all-too-common problem, hip fractures. With the growing size of our aging population, the number of hip fractures also increases. Older adults have weaker bones and are more likely to fall due to decreased balance, medication side effects, or difficulty maneuvering around hazards in their environment. Joining us today is Dr. Max Courtney, Assistant Professor of Orthopedics, Fellowship trained in hip and knee replacement surgery, who practices at Rothman Orthopedic Institute. He's highly respected in his field for joint replacements, including primary and revision surgeries of the hip and knee, and he's very skilled in treating complex issues such as fractures and infections around an existing joint replacement. He's authored numerous publications and presents regularly in regional and national meetings. Welcome, Max. So glad you could join us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on, Marianne. Well, let's start with a a big review. Out of 100 U.S. senior citizens, how many might break their hip? So the most common patient that we usually see are postmenopausal females, and it's about 14%, depending on uh, which paper you read. So that's about one in seven, which is really, really high. Uh, For for elderly males, the lifetime risk of getting a hip fracture is about 6% which again is is still high. And I think as our population gets older and the, we're living longer, medical advances are increasing our life expectancy in this country, we're going to continue to see more and more hip fractures. Mm-hmm. And what kind of factors put a patient at risk? 
So there, there's several. Um, you, you talked about the weather changing. We definitely see a seasonal variation. Uh, patients who are at, the, the most common is a, is a mechanical fall. Uh, and we really do focus on the, the falls prevention uh, with the elderly. We want people to adjust any loose rugs that they have at home. We talk to them about proper shoe wear. Uh, when they wear socks on hardwood floors, we want them to have grips on the bottom of their socks. Uh, we don't want them to use leather soles that are slippery. Uh, pr- installing railings through the house. All of these things, I think, uh, th- that patients can have a good setup at home to, to help prevent that. Uh, there's also other medical factors, right? There's certain things that, that it's not just a, a, a slip and a fall. So I took care of a, a 52-year-old last week, which is usually on the younger side, our average age for, for hip fractures. For, for women, it's around 70. Men's around 75. Uh, I took care of a lady. She's only 52 and she's a breast cancer survivor, uh, which is fantastic, but she's taken a, a medication called a Rimidex, which is a, a type of medication that counters some of the breast cancer hormones. Uh, she was on an antidepressant. I think she was taking Prozac. Uh, and then she's on a, a proton pump inhibitor, which helps with her, her gastric reflux. All three of those medications contribute to, to poor bone quality, which can lead to, to hip fractures. Sure. And as a GI doctor, I, I do use those proton pump inhibitors for our listeners. Uh, if you use a medication that turns your acid off 75%, like Pepsid, no longer Zantac, it usually helps completely resolve your symptoms. But some people need a stronger medicine. Uh, I won't mention the names, but <laughs> uh, medications that turn your acid off 100% make you feel a whole lot better, but may decrease your calcium absorption. And, and as you say, Max, medications play a role. If somebody has an overactive thyroid, that can eat away at the calcium concentration in the bones. Diabetes, um, other medical issues like cardiovascular disease, right? A number of other medications as well. Correct. Cardiovascular, you talked about the, the hyperthyroidism, which, which patients should get, get checked. Uh, and then, and then we're, we're often used to, we, we know about the obesity epidemic in America, uh, but it's actually patients that are, are either malnourished or, or frail. So we know that people that actually have a lower body mass index, uh, they have much poorer nutritional status, and that can also predispose them to getting hip fractures as well. Well, you know, again, as a GI specialist, when I see patients that, that have rather vague symptoms of uh, indigestion or heartburn, and we do upper GI endoscopy, I pretty much always do biopsies of the small bowel to look for celiac disease because that part of the intestine right past stomach is where we absorb calcium. So if somebody has undetected celiac, which for our listeners know, gluten is the the enemy there, um, and they're not absorbing calcium, over time, their bones get weaker and weaker and run into fractures, right? So... Absolutely. And, and in addition to the, the, the GI side effect, you talk about calcium absorption. We, we counsel calcium vitamin D supplementation for a lot of our, our elderly patients. And there, there's certain medications like, like uh, there's bisphosphonates. And you talk to your primary care doctor about that. There's pros and cons uh, to, to using each of them. But obviously, we, we know there's certain medications. Exercise is really important. So bone constantly remodels. It's one of the, the, the few 
things that can heal without a scar, like the liver. And bone is constantly breaking down and growing back, back up. And the best way to increase your bone turnover to make your bone healthy and strong is exercise. So we, we, all, we tell all of our patients, not just our elderly patients, and especially with these, these difficult times with, with the coronavirus crisis, you still need to get outside. You still need to go on walks. Um, you, you still need to stay active because that's really going to be the best thing that you can do to help prevent a hip, a hip fracture. And so for older people, there are water aerobics. My dad and mother used to go to the mall. You can't do that right now, but they would walk through the mall. And, and they didn't measure 10,000 steps, but they would walk for at least a half hour and go. And it was in bad weather or that sort of thing. They were able to get their, their exercise in that way. Um, Max, you don't see people uh, as a primary care doc, but I'm sure you do see patients that come to you with uh, with pain or, or orthopedic symptoms or problems. At what age do you suggest women start with their first DEXA scan? So there, there's pretty clear guidelines. And, and I know we, we kind of get boxed in as orthopedic surgeons and can put plates and screws and replacements, but we, we do take care and see a lot of patients asked us this question all the time and I order DEXA scans. So mm -hmm. the, the guidelines are usually 65 for, for females, uh, males that are high risk, it's recommended to get a DEXA scan above 70. But if you have what, what's called a fragility fracture, and that can be a wrist fracture or a spine fracture, and a hip fracture certainly qualifies, or any of the other risk factors that we talked about with the medications and the, the body mass index and the activity level, um, you, you should consider talking with your primary care doctor to get one earlier. Well, I think one of those meds that we have to reinforce is steroids, people on chronic steroids for whatever reason, lung problems, uh, also colitis, long-term steroids can really eat away at your bone mineralization as well, right? Absolutely. That's, that's probably the first one that I should have mentioned. We went through mm -hmm. a couple of the other ones. And it's not to say that the don't be on these medications, right? Of course. It's a, it's a risk-benefit analysis. You need to be on your, your proton pump inhibitor for your reflux. You need to be on your antidepressants, your breast cancer medications, and your steroids for other reasons. But it's, it's certainly, again, it's a, it's a risk-benefit analysis. And that, that's why you, you have to continue to have those primary conversations with your orthopedist and your primary care doctor. Exactly. Let's take a little break, and we'll be right back with Dr. Max Courtney from Rothman Orthopedics. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. And we're back with Dr. Max Courtney from Rothman Orthopedics. Max, we talked about risk factors for hip fractures. Uh, which plague the elderly, but you see fractures in younger people as well. Sometimes they're pathologic fractures, I guess, meaning they already have another condition like a cancer that spreads to the bones and all of a sudden they end up with a fracture. I guess that's not quite as often, but we think of hip fractures in the elderly, but you certainly see fractures in younger people as well. Tell us about that if you don't mind. A absolutely. So again, practicing at, at Jefferson, we're a level one trauma center. Uh, mm -hmm. And we do get a lot of high energy motor vehicle crashes. And that's usually the, the most common reason to get a hip fracture in, an, in a younger patient. In a younger patient, younger people's bones are, are much stronger. Uh, so it's going to take much more energy and a higher, mecha, better, a stronger mechanism to break their hip. So motorcycle crashes, 
car accidents, pedestrians struck on the on the roadway, and they're going to be managed much different, which we'll get into a little bit later. They'll, they'll, they're going to have a much different conversation that I'll be having about surgical options than the elderly patient who slips and falls. Sure. I think the, the, the other point that you brought up, uh, again, as patients are living longer and we, we've done a great job with cancer treatment, um, unfortunately, a lot of cancers can spread to the bone. And like you said, we, we do see, I, I saw a lady the other day, she, she's 75, uh, she's a lung cancer survivor, and she was in remission for, for a while, and she ended up with a, with a hip fracture that we found, uh, found a lesion in her, her hip. So it's, again, it's important to continue to you talk with your oncologist, your primary care doctors, but that's certainly a risk factor as well. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the other big message is don't wait until you're in your 50s and 60s to say, gee, am I taking enough calcium and vitamin D? Or I, I actually dietary calcium is absorbed better than calcium pills or calcium supplements. But for those who have lactose intolerance and it gets a little bit more confusing, it's amazing to me how often I test for vitamin D. I think, I don't know, 80 plus percent of America is low in vitamin D. I don't know why that is. It's not like we're not outside. Yeah, Do you find that a lot? I, I do, and that's such a such a huge issue. Your your peak bone mass actually peaks around your mid twenties. So for your younger listeners, and or or the the listeners who have kids and grandkids, it's even more important. Your peak bone mass is in your mid twenties. That you need to get the calcium, vitamin D supplementation, exercise, all these things that we do for bone health in your teenage, college years, early twenties as well. That's just super important. Form good habits. So, when would you start with the first DEXA scan? A woman in thirties, forties? So only if you have risk factors. So de okay. definitely with with women's menstrual cycle and the the hormones associated with that, they they really are protective for fragility fractures like hip fractures. So it's really in postmenopausal women that we start to see a lot of the the fragility breaks like hip fractures. So. Uh, that's why m most of the recommendations are 65 years old, unless you have a risk factor. So like you said, if you're on chronic steroids, you're on some of these medications, you're malnourished, um, or you have a family history, those people you, you can consider screening sooner, but but definitely by 65. Mm -hmm. So we always like to reinforce with our patients, am I right? A fracture is a break. Sometimes people have a fracture and they think it's something dainty like a little crack. Fracture equals break. So how does a person know when they have a broken hip? They fall, and what, what happens after that? Absolutely. So there's really, again, there's two mechanisms or two stories that I'll classically see with hip fractures. First is I was walking outside, and I tried to grab a rail, and I slipped and fell, and I landed on my hip, and I heard a crack. <gasps> the, the other less common, um, but, but you, you certainly hear it quite a bit, oh, I was twisting, I was turning to go grab something, I heard a crack, and then I fell. So remember, the, these fractures happen in, in patients with poorer bone quality. So there, there's certainly a, a large subset of patients that actually break their hip with a twisting mechanism, mm -hmm. and then they fall so that the break actually causes the fall as opposed to a direct blow in the hip. So patients are going to have pain, severe pain in their groin. Uh, they're not going to be able to walk. That's really the, the, the big thing. If, if you can't get up and wait there, you're, you you have you have an issue, uh, and and you certainly need to be concerned with a with a fracture. So pain in the groin, inability to put weight on. You're going to notice your leg is going to be shortened. So you're going to look down at your at your feet, and you'll notice that the the fractured leg is going to be a little shorter by about an inch, and your toes might be pointing to the outside, and that's pretty classic for patients that have hip fractures. 
good information. And we always say to patients, number one, if, if a loved one or somebody that you're with, if you see them fall, don't try to put them in the car, don't try to move them, call an ambulance, call 911, and please don't go to urgent care, go right to the ER. Tell us about that. Right. So uh, urgent cares are great. They can do simple laceration repairs. They can take quick x-rays. They can put splints on. But but unfortunately, they, they can't manage bigger problems like hip fractures. And it's for a couple of reasons, right? Most of the patients with hip fractures are elderly. They have other medical problems. Uh, then you have to ask about, well, what, what was the cause of the fall, right? Was it a simple, they tripped over a carpet? Or do they have a heart problems or a history of something like atrial fibrillation, which is an abnormal heart rate, and maybe they passed out and they lost consciousness for a couple seconds. So uh, they might need an EKG, they might need a cardiologist, and you're, you're not going to have those things available at an, at an urgent care. A lot of these patients have other injuries too. So you, these, these people, again, patients are on blood thinners often because they, they have other medical issues, history of blood clots or for their heart. They can have trauma to their head. Sometimes they might need a CT scan to make sure that they don't have a stroke or a bleed. They could have other fractures, right? But elderly patients, it's not just your hip that when you get diagnosis of osteoporosis or osteopenia with poor bone quality, you could fracture your arm, you could have a fracture of your back. Uh, so it, it is important that you should be evaluated in an emergency department with an ambulance uh, and not go into an urgent care because it's just going to delay your care. They, they find a hip fracture, then they need to take you to an ambulance to a full service hospital. Exactly. And, and if the poor person has to be admitted, then we're looking at uh, an x-ray in the urgent care and then with pain being transferred by ambulance back to another to a hospital. So another lesson learned, I actually have a friend who fell about a year ago and she had pain and had trouble walking, but she went to the ER and the x-ray was negative and she was still having pain and she called me and said, what do I do? And I said, well, and you can tell us better than I, I said, make sure that if they discharge you, that you go with a walker because you might have a fracture that wasn't seen on x-ray and you might need further studies. Where would we go from there, Max? Right, so that that's a really important point, and you can usually you can see this in younger patients too. So the X-rays are not perfect; they're a first diagnostic screening test. They're quick to get; they're readily available, um, but it, it certainly again isn't isn't perfect. And if you have the other symptoms, right, groin pain, inability to put weight, every time you take a step, you have horrible groin pain. You, you can you clinically have concerns for a hip fracture, even though your x-ray is negative. So you might need an MRI to see the fracture. And where I usually see this again is in, in middle-aged women who are runners. Uh, so you can have stress fractures of your hip and you're not going to see that on x-ray. So it's usually, again, they're, they're in shape. They're running all the time. They may have protein absorption problems. You talked about celiac or hyperthyroidism or um, but you, you really need to be concerned. And if I have someone come into my office, they have a negative x-ray and they have horrible groin pain and can't put weight on it, you, you need to consider getting an MRI because if you don't catch the fracture early enough and this runner that I took care of uh, was about six weeks ago, uh, she, she had about six weeks of hip pain. She saw three different orthopods. Uh, nobody was able to diagnose anything. They sent her to physical therapy and we saw the fracture on the MRI and we were able to stabilize it with a couple screws. So that can get her back to running and not have to worry about it. But if you don't catch it early enough, that fracture can displace or that break can go all the way through and you could be at risk for needing a much bigger surgery.
And so our listeners have a visual. Sometimes we'll, we'll x-ray a patient that we think has a broken rib or a broken arm or, or hip. And if it's aligned perfectly, and if it's just a little crack, it might not show up on the x-ray. Um, and an MRI is a different type of imagery. So if a patient is medically stable and they come into the emergency room, they're not on blood thinners, we want to get them to the operating room within 24 hours. Tell us why. So the, the date is pretty clear. We, the hip fractures are emergencies. Maybe people don't think of it as something like uh, appendicitis or a, a heart attack. And it's certainly not, you don't need to be in the operating room within 90 minutes like you would for a, a cardiac catheterization. But the data is really clear that patients do better if they're fixed within 24 hours. Most of the complications around hip fractures aren't surgical necessarily. It's, it's from being in bed. We, we want to get people up and moving around. Pain medication and opioids cause confusion and delirium in the elderly. They're at risk for aspirating and getting pneumonias. They're at risk for getting blood clots because they just sit in bed, urinary infections, pressure sores, and skin breakdowns. And all of these complications uh, can be avoided or at least minimized if we can get them to the operating room within 24 hours. Because the main goal with whatever surgical treatment that you decide, and I think we're going to touch on that in a little bit, is, is to get patients up and walking. We want them putting full weight on it. We want them getting out of bed. We want them getting see with physical therapy uh, as soon as possible. And as you say, there are, there are five large studies that show a lower rate of dying uh, from hip fracture if we get patients to the OR, get them up and moving, and not delay their surgery any longer than 72 hours. Let's take a little break, and we'll be right back. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed on Radio.com. Listen to the show at your convenience. Go to Radio.com and in the search bar type in Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. Thanks for joining us. We're here with Dr. Max Courtney talking about hip fractures and trying to get patients into the OR within 24 hours makes a huge difference. And there's always a double-edged sword, isn't there, Max? If a patient is in bed too long preoperatively, it increases their risk for clotting. But the other worry that's in your mind, when a patient comes to the ER, you always say, are they already on a blood thinner because they have whatever medical problem? And that complicates things in a different way. C- correct. And that's why this is it's a multidisciplinary approach. And that's why you need another reason when you talked about just going to an urgent care, why you need to be at a, a hospital that takes care of a lot of hip fractures because we have a very good relationship with our anesthesiologists who come to the emergency room to place nerve blocks to get the elderly out of pain. We talk with the medicine doctors, the hospitalists who talk about anticoagulation and the blood thinners. And then there's obviously the, the surgical issue. So uh, if patients are on blood thinners, especially some of the newer blood thinners like Eliquis and Pradaxa, uh, often we, we might need to delay their surgery by a day, uh, and not longer than a day, but just a day because that does place them at risk for bleeding. You certainly don't want to be needing large blood transfusions or have risk for bleeding during the operating room. Sure. But if somebody's on aspirin, we, they, we no longer delay GI procedures. We used to stop aspirin. We no longer take people off aspirin if they're on it to protect from, uh, for stroke and heart attack. So and, that would and, not delay your surgery. Absolutely. Yeah. Aspirin, even Plavix. Uh, there's a lot of patients on Plavix, and I don't have a problem operating through Plavix, aspirin, uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories a lot of patients take. 
uh, Aleve, Motrin, Advil, or their prescription equivalents, and we, we don't want to delay the operate, delay a surgery uh, for patients on those medications. Yeah, that's a great point for people to hear. So we had a, a very interesting conversation the other day when we were talking about what we'd cover today. And I like that you say, I mean, I know that you look at each patient, each case individually and, and taper your therapy. Absolute age is not a contraindication to surgery. If you have an elderly person who's in their 90s and they've broken their hip and they're in absolute pain, you might operate as quickly as and as uh, efficiently as you can just for pain control, not because you think they're going to be up and running again. Exactly. And we, we have these conversations with family members all the time. The oldest person I've operated on is 104 years old. Wow. And she actually did great. She's in better age is just a number. She's in better shape than some of my 60-year-old patients that I take care of. Mm-hmm. So the, be, because this really is an emergent procedure, I, I always tell the family members, they come in, they're like, well, my, my mom, she's just too old for surgery. She's not going to make it through. And while they're certainly at higher risk from a medical standpoint, the, these patients don't, it, it's a pain control issue. It's really a palliative surgery. They, exactly. they can't be turned to anytime you move their leg, they're going to be in horrible pain. Uh, patients that are in nursing facilities, they can't get changed. They can't get bathed. They can't even get out of bed to a chair. And you, you don't want to see your loved one bed bound, uh, which again, the, the most important thing is trying to get them mobilized and get them out of bed and get them out of pain. So age is certainly not a, not a contraindication for, for surgery. Mm-hmm. Is there a time when you would say absolutely no? Uh, very, very rarely. Uh, again, if, if patients are on hospice, maybe, uh, end-of-life care, uh, we talked about uh, tumor patients that can have spread of their, their tumor to the bone, uh, and they have a very short life expectancy, but, but very, very rarely, even in people with, with significant cardiac and heart problems and lung problems, you, you do whatever you can to try to, to try to get them fixed, to get them out of pain. Sure. Now, do you ever look at a patient with a broken hip and say, why don't we just replace the joint rather than just putting plates and screws in? Right. It really depends on the fracture. So it's a, if, uh, a fracture of the femoral neck. And I kind of think use the analogy of an ice cream cone. And if the fracture is right where the ice cream meets the cone, uh, where that, that ball can just fall off the cone, those, those fractures don't heal very well. The hip doesn't have great blood supply. So if the, the, you can put plates and screws on, and we talked about younger patients. So when I take care of a 30-year-old motorcycle crash and they have mm. a hip fracture, you want to try to preserve their hip. So you'll make a big incision. You try to get the reduction or the, the fracture lines lined up, and you put plates and screws on. But they're often non-weight-bearing for three months. It's really tough to tell a 75 or an 80-year-old lady that she can't put weight on her hip for three months, mm. particularly because of all the complications that we just talked about, the bed sores, the pneumonias, and the blood clots. So those patients do much better with a hip replacement. So instead of trying to let the fracture heal, we know hip replacements are lasting 20, 25 years, we, we do a hip replacement. And the surgery is only 45 minutes. We can get them off the operating room table very quickly with minimal blood loss. And they don't have any activity restrictions. We, we let them put weight on it right away. We have the physical therapist see them as soon as they get back to their room two hours later. And again, mo- most of it, the, they're not running around the nurse's station right afterwards, but they can take a couple steps in the room and they're at least out of bed to the chair the same day that they have surgery. So if the fracture is further down their hip, maybe closer to the thigh area, 
sometimes they're treated with either screws or a nail because those plates can heal. Those fractures can heal pretty well. Mm -hmm. Is the post-op care different if you have a, a hip fracture that's repaired as opposed to replacing the hip with a new joint? No, the, the post-op care differ, doesn't differ. Some of the complications might differ with a hip replacement. You might worry about dislocation and trying to take it easy and not falling. Um, but but the, the again, the main goal for all of these patients is to get them out of bed and get them walking. That's really the, the main goal. So most of the patients can, again, put full weight on it. We have them see physical therapy right away. The exception being the younger patient uh, that we're going to try to save their hip. Because if you do a hip replacement on someone who's 25 or 30 years old, well, they might need another surgery when they're 50 and then another surgery when they're 70. So those patients, you're going to want to try to to fix it with plates and screws, the higher energy mechanisms. Right, exactly. And that's what I was thinking. Uh, hip replacements, the technology has just uh, improved exponentially. And when you hear that a, a replacement can last 20 plus years, that's incredible. But as you say, if it's a, an accident, 25, 30 year old, you're going to um, you know, judge each case individually. Is there a difference? I, I know there is. What's the difference between a hip fracture and a pelvic fracture? I think people need to hear that. Right. So, so pelvic fractures can be osteoporotic or fragility fractures, which we talked about too. Uh, and x-rays, CT scans, MRIs, we, we talked about that as being part of the workup. So the, the hip itself is made up of the femur, which is the, the ball on the ice cream cone, and mm -hmm. the socket, which is part of your, your pelvis or what's called your acetabulum. So sometimes you can have fractures around the socket part, and they may or may not need surgery. So if, if patients get a small fracture of the sacrum, which is one of the pelvic bones in the back, or of the, the bones around the socket part, usually those patients can just, you, you give them a walker, you manage their pain, and they'll often heal on their own. I tell mm -hmm. people the, the pelvis is kind of like a sourdough pretzel. Uh, and it'll often break in, it can break in multiple places. It's really tough to break a sourdough pretzel in one place. So you, you, you need the pelvis to be stabilized by other ligaments and other bones. Uh, and if it is, those patients can usually be treated without surgery. If it does need surgery, we have some great trauma surgeons at Jefferson uh, who can usually do it minimally invasive with a couple screws to help stabilize it. So for people listening, the femur is the, the large bone in your thigh. And the ice cream cone on the top is the ball that goes into the socket or the garage <laughs> on either side of your pelvic girdle. And and you're right, it does look like a pretzel. Your your pelvis is um, what you sit on, I guess, and, and uh, where your thighs lock in. And those moving parts in the hip are more likely to need the surgery than a pelvis, as you say, cross our fingers, that heals without any uh, surgical management. So then we talk about pain control because Again, we want to be able to get people up and walking. If you're not moving, you're not grooving. Um, and with elderly people, again, the risk of delirium. Sometimes people are in the hospital and become confused, even if they're not on pain meds. But with the national crisis of opioids, we're, we're much more careful. I think part of that too, Max, and you're newer to the medical world than I am, but back in the day, I guess in the 90s, the big push was to keep people out of pain. Don't write for give this pain medicine as needed, just give it straight and keep the person in constant comfort. We don't do that now. Tell us about that. Yeah, and you're, you're absolutely right, Marianne. Again, I, I still have a couple gray hairs on me. And when I trained 10 years ago, we would just give, give patients, we, we, it's called a PCA pump or patient controlled analgesia. So mm -hmm. they would get a morphine pump 
that the patient can just hit once every 10 minutes. So anytime that they were in pain, they could give themselves a milligram or two milligrams of morphine at the click of a button because we saw we, we were judged on pain as the sixth vital sign. And if you didn't control someone's pain, uh, Medicare even tied reimbursement rates to how well you controlled people's pain. And certainly in the, in the elderly population, these patients can get confused, they can get delirious, it increases their length of stay, it increases their risk of complications. So I think we've, we've done a much better job of our multimodal pain protocol for these patients. So at Jefferson, we have a great anesthesia team. They actually meet the, the patient in the emergency room when they're diagnosed with a hip fracture, and they can place a nerve block into their hip. So that really helps with pain control. We give patients standing Tylenol, which is very safe. If they can tolerate it, if they don't have any heart or kidney problems, we give them anti excuse me, they give them anti-inflammatory medications. So that, that certainly helps minimize uh, the amount of opioids that we give patients. Great information, Max. Uh, and of course, a hip fracture is a sign of a fragile bone, so we're going to treat from, for osteoporosis when they're discharged. Let's take a little break. Stay with us with Dr. Max Courtney. Your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. Dr. Marianne will return, but first, a medical message from one of our partners. And we're in our final segment talking about hip fractures, and I, I know too, Max, when a person's recuperating after surgery, we have to watch for constipation, consider their nutrition if they are frail, and we want to prevent those pressure ulcers. We talked about too much time in bed and, and watch for anemia in case they've lost any blood. I was reading that from 1996 to 2010, we saw a decline in hip fractures because we're smarter about getting women on bisphosphonates or the meds that keep their uh, calcium density um, at a good level. And we're increasing the focus on reminding patients to get their calcium and vitamin D, you need both, and avoid smoking, moderate intake of alcohol, and regular exercise. Tell us about that. Right. I think if you look at some of the drugs that have really revolutionized medicine in the last two decades and a lot of the newer cholesterol drugs, the newer rheumatoid drugs, but certainly in, in that category are, there, are the bisphosphonates. And again, that's drugs like Fosamax, and there are several of them. And they, they've really helped reduce the risks of hip fractures, distal radius fractures, and, and lumbar spine fractures. So in addition to all the lifestyle changes, the, these patients all get set up with an appointment after discharge to talk with their primary care doctor. We have a metabolic bone health. Even an endocrinologist can discuss this with a patient. Now, there's downsides too. Um, patients that have kidney issues shouldn't be on a lot of the bisphosphonates. There's downsides with the long-term use of bisphosphonates, but certainly uh, it, it's something to have a discussion with your primary care doctor about afterwards. And you talk about uh, before discharge, I know you have the patient see occupational therapy, and it's not the same as planning for an elective uh, joint replacement surgery. This is emergent, so they might not have chair wells at home and, and a grab bar in the shower that we talked about earlier. If people wanted to see you as a patient, they can, I know, see you in Center City or Doylestown. Tell us about that. Sure. So we, we have offices all over the area now. Uh, our practices is expanding into central and northern New Jersey. We even have offices in uh, New York. Uh, so I practice in, in Center City and at Doylestown. I'm happy to see uh, any hip and knee patients. Uh, you can call our office 800-321-9999. They can help set you up with an appointment. Uh, and then we're also expanding into, into central Florida. So I think as, as 
Rothman Orthopedics continues to grow. We have a lot of patients who even spend winters and fall down in Florida that we're going to be able to take care of, even from the, the Philadelphia area down there. Um, we're, we're really looking forward to our, our partnership with our health systems in Florida, as well as our uh, expansion into New York City. Well, and I, when I heard um, a, the announcement in mid-October uh, from Dr. Alex Vaccaro on October 13th that you were opening in Central Florida, I thought, that's a great idea. If somebody wants to go to Florida, have their elective hip or knee replacement and recuperate there, that's that's wonderful. All the people from Philly and New Jersey, that's a great option, really. Exactly. And it's sunny and 80 degrees to probably in Orlando today. And as we start to experience the chill of winter, might be nice to, to recover down there too. Well, and I guess if you're in the hospital, Mickey and Minnie can come to visit. Exactly. Uh, so your, your website is rothmanortho.com, R-O-T-H-M-A-N ortho.com. And if people want to get information about uh, care in Florida, it's rothmanfl.com. Right, RothmanFL.com. Correct, and there's links uh, to all of the all of the the sites that we have on our website. Well, we're going to ask people that when they go out to get their mail or their newspaper first thing in the morning, that that first step can be so important. Thank you, Max Courtney. You're a star, and stay well. Thank you, Marianne, for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. This week's Your Real Champion is Dr. Ken Hartman, a most valuable patriot. Dr. Ken Hartman, a man of many talents with a passion for education. In fact, he's considered an educational entrepreneur. His undergraduate degree is in computer science and his PhD is in education. For nearly four decades, he's combined his strengths in those areas as a professor, academic administrator, consultant for companies in higher education. But the culmination of his combined training was in his position as president of Drexel University Online, a subsidiary of Drexel University, where he oversaw a multi-million dollar organization with nearly 8,000 online adult learners and over 100 fully online degree programs. He's won countless awards for his achievements in education from several universities, and he's been honored with awards for service from the U.S. Army, U.S. Air Force, the Freedom Foundation, and New Jersey Governor. Equally impressive, he's authored numerous books, scholarly publications, presented at big conferences. He's penned a nationally syndicated newspaper column, and he was the technology reporter for NBC10 in Philadelphia for close to a decade, and he's won countless awards. It's clear that Ken Hartman is all about service. For more than 12 years, he's been an elected member of the school board in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. In 2009, he realized high school graduation ceremonies marked the achievements of students entering college, but no one recognized or congratulated students who chose to enlist in the military. Ken found a beautiful venue in Cherry Hill called The Mansion, and he held the first enlistment recognition ceremony there. He then formed Our Community Salutes, now a national nonprofit organization that supports high school enlistees in the U.S. Armed Services, by providing the students and their parents the recognition, peer networking, education, career planning, and support, which they need and deserve. Since the inaugural recognition ceremony in 2009, each year there are more than 50 ceremonies in 25 states to honor these brave enlistees. A typical ceremony in a large venue like a college, banquet hall, theme park, country club. It includes a presentation of the colors, the national anthem, military and civilian speakers, 
a ceremonial oath of enlistment, and a receiving line with VIPs, awards, and group and individual pictures. And when the pandemic came, it didn't dampen his efforts to thank these young warriors. The 150,000 students in the class of 2020 who stepped up to serve were honored with a magnificent presentation called America Salutes. This one-hour pre-recorded live stream broadcast premiered on July 4 and aired multiple times through July and August. Hosted by actor Terry Crews, the feature includes celebrities, performers, and prominent members from the armed forces who came together to say and sing thank you, along with loving messages from parents. Dr. Ken Hartman himself was a commissioned officer in the U.S. Army. He knows that those who serve are often thanked if and when they complete their tour of duty. The motto of OCS is to be the first to say thank you. Thank you to the 1% of high school students who put country before themselves and make it possible for the other 99% to go to college. These selfless warriors are a powerful example of joining an effort that's greater than themselves. Enlisting can be a tough decision. Ken formed OCS to recognize these young patriots as they enter the service. Once in uniform, they'll face many challenges, be it a drill sergeant entering a foreign country or foreign city where they have to make decisions. They need to know and they need to feel that their community and their country are behind them or it becomes hard to do their job. This year, Ken was recognized as the most valuable patriot when Fox Nation listed their Patriot Awards. Ken believes that the purest form of patriotism is to celebrate those who serve. Our nation depends on them and they depend on us. We salute you, Dr. Ken Hartman, founder and president of Our Community Salutes, your real champion. We also want to salute the men and women who serve. You give us hope. And as you continue the legacy of those who served before you, America remains secure, prosperous, and free because of your honor, courage, and integrity. Especially during this holiday season, we wish you good health, peace, safety, and happiness. We are the land of the free because of you, the brave. Thank you for listening. Each week, I invite you to send us stories of the champions in your family or community. Send us stories to info at yourradiodoctor.net. Listen to all of our shows on yourradiodoctor.net. Stay tuned and listen to the beautiful Christmas sounds of Sinatra. And remember always that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.